It is time for our latest history slot and uh, this is a, well they're all very, very interesting but I think what's interesting about this one, Column is I think a lot of people uh, might not be aware, uh, you know, we all are ver- well versed in uh, our history as uh, in, uh, the England's first colony. Uh, uh, we learn about it very well tr- uh, throughout our school going days but... I don't ever remember. Now, I'm, I'm a, I've read about this, but this was after uh, going to school, um, that time when we planned to invade Britain or invade England. I don't think too many listeners will be aware of that, so it's good to go through this. Give us some context, background. What time period are we talking about? Right, well, we're, we're going to the year 1102 AD. And if we take the bigger picture of Europe at that time, it was experiencing a massive expansion of population, such as never had been at that point in history. Um, Two things had kind of happened recently at that stage. One was the end of widespread slavery. Most of Europe, you know, the lower classes had been slaves and slaves don't get to have slave children. Not really. The boys and the girls are kept separate. Whereas now most uh, of the poor people were serfs. Still not a great lifestyle. Still fairly lowly in the food chain. at the end of your miserable day at work, you can go home and cuddle together in your hovel. So serfs have a a slightly better lifestyle than (laughs) slaves. And now that there was more serfs, that led to a higher population. And a second mysterious thing is that um, the bubonic plague had been endemic in Europe throughout the previous times. Um, But for three or four hundred years, it stopped. No one is really clear why, but in other words, the plague had been keeping the population down. Uh, remind us how the, about the bubonic plague and how that began. Was this through rats? Or? Yeah, that's the later version of it, which comes, you know, in the 1300s. But as I say, this was a lovely window from the year 1000 to 1300, where there was no plague and the serfs got uh, cuddled together. So population <laughs> exploded. And um, it just led to all sorts of changes across Europe. And out of that came this particular people, the Normans. They um, were they originally were a bunch of Vikings, had of course invaded loads of places, but they invaded the north of France. And when you put Vikings together with the Franks, as they were called, this tribe, you got a very dynamic new race, these Normans. And they had the, they had the steel of a, of a Norman, but a little bit of flair, you know, that you'd get from France. And just incredible warriors. I mean, during that period that we're talking about, one of their epic things was the Crusades. The idea had been getting more and more popular of taking pilgrimages to Jerusalem hmm. because around the year 1000, it was felt maybe Jesus was coming back around maybe his birth or his crucifixion, you know, to mark the anniversary. Come back to her. So a lot of people were going to Jerusalem and what they increasingly found was when they would get there, of course, it was no longer a Jewish city, never mind a Christian one. It was now uh, an Islamic one. And they weren't too happy with this. So ultimately, a bunch of people in France, Germany, and particularly these Normans, decided they weren't going to take it. And they marched all the way across Europe and sent some boats and took Jerusalem back for Christendom, you know. So a dynamic people, these Normans were. And when they decided to expand a bit further, they looked across at England and with no trouble at all, they went across and, and trampled all over the English. Indeed, sent all of their aristocracy packing in a, a version of the, the flight of the wild geese that happened to the English. They all had to go home, these Saxons. And um, the French took over and indeed they were, they were French. I mean, for the next three centuries, the, the English kings spoke French as their language. They refused to speak English. It was kind of beneath them. Um, they took over not just the kingship, the aristocracy, all of the church. And then the, the Wales was a little bit tougher to crack, but they got that too. And then they looked across the waters Uh-oh. at um, what was out there past Wales and they thought, 
someday soon. <laughs> Those Irish have got it coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, uh, during that period when we last left Ireland, we had the Battle of Clontarf. Yeah. And as you know, things kind of went uh, to pieces. It was fairly d- dis- disparate, wasn't it? You know, Brian Brew was dead and it was back to individual yeah, clans. Yeah, the, the O'Briens could barely hold Thomans, never mind to be all Ireland. Yeah. So... It, um, it went to pieces for a while, but then gradually um, there was a great-grandson of Brian Brew called Murakartik, and he again had something of that star quality. So he started to put it all together again. He moved out from Thomond, eventually got all of Munster, got Connacht, Leinster, Dublin, and over several decades this took, but the nut he could not crack was Ulster. He just could not... Um, bring them to submission. Well, Ulster just kept saying no. <laughs> the, the true eye king. So, I mean, he, he was so dynamic, this guy, he actually took over the Isle of Man and then the Western Isles of Scotland, trying to see, could he leave her Ulster attacking them from both Coming above, from the side, and, you know, and, and all the way around. <laughs> and that was going well for him. But then a new player entered the equation, the last of the Vikings, a guy called Magnus. He was... In fact, his name was Magnus Bearlegs. So Magnus Bearlegs had the star power. He came down from Norway. He had already beaten up the Swedes, and then he comes down through the Orkneys, the Hebrides, Western Scotland. Even takes on Wales and beats the Normans there. The Normans, you know, own Wales. He beats them, and um, then he arrives at Dublin, thinking Ireland will be next. <laughs> Uh, it sounds like he hasn't had much trouble so far uh, conquering uh, nations. So uh, he arrives in Ireland and uh, how does it go? Do we put up any sort of resistance? Well, the bizarre thing is that our guy, Murakertig, and this Magnus somehow have a meeting of minds. Um, there's a truce between them and incredibly they wind up spending the winter together. Um, our guy invites Magnus and the Vikings come on over to Killaloo, my, 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 my home base. Wow, and, he's got um, the gift of the gab, hasn't yeah, he? <laughs> and a few thousand Vikings descend on Killaloo, but in peace. So for the winter of 1102, these guys, obviously the leaders must just get on like a house on fire. And it's just the, the Vikings need summer to stay for the winter. So just in peace, they live there. But the crack, I'd say, is mighty because they're just going hunting, they're drinking and feasting all the time. And incredibly, they bond over the Battle of Clontarf. Because what we hadn't realised is where it was a big battle to us, it was to them too. They saw it as a tragic a tragic kind of loss. But on the other hand, they had managed to kill Brian Brew, you know. So they already had their myths about Clontarf. And it's still only a few generations. So the Irish guys and the Vikings get together and it's a who's who of your great-grandfather was there and where was he, you know, on yeah. the battlefield. They're discussing all that. And then, incredibly, a Norman delegation arrive. But what these are, are rebel Normans. It's a guy called Arnulf, and he's not happy. The kind of the kingship in Norman, you'll remember, William the Conqueror, followed by William II. Who's next? And the answer turned out to be a guy called Henry I, but not everybody was happy. So this rebel Norman delegation wanted to depose him, and they thought... They were well aware of Magnus because he'd already bloodied their nose in Wales. They realised he had that quality and they were aware of the Irish High King. And um, they came to treat with both of them and see could they persuade them to help them in a reverse invasion. So uh, we would provide most of the army. Obviously, the Vikings would provide the sea power and the Normans had plenty. These were really rich Normans who had a lot of riches back in France. So incredibly, you have a Frenchman, a Norwegian, and a Clare man 
that winter Walk into figuring a out <laughs> how to take on England. OK, so uh, this meeting of minds comes together and they're hatching this plot to invade England. Um, what what happens next, um, Colm? Is there a, a massive invasion or did it even get that far? Well, I mean, one thing was like to seal the deal uh, Murakertig actually gave two of his daughters in marriage to these guys. <laughs> One of his daughters marries the Norman Arnulf, and um, another young daughter is married off to Magnus's son. Magnus's son is um, ten, and <laughs> ten, <laughs> and um, and uh, Murakertig's daughter is eight. So there's a child m- marriage there to just kind of cement the bond between oh, the families. Um, so there's two marriages, and then everybody goes on their way because they just have to get their troops together and whatnot. But here's the thing. Magnus heads up along the coast of Ireland and just as he's about to leave and head off that last tricky bit up to Norway, decides he wants some cattle to eat, like to eat on the way back. Live cattle. So he stops in at Ulster. Exact spot unknown, but let's say around um, Downpatrick to raid for some cattle just because he's feeling peckish for the trip home. And they go in and they get some cattle, the Vikings, bring them back towards the shore. But of course, the Ulster boys aren't taking this line down. So there's an attack. And as the retreat is happening, unfortunately, the Vikings don't know the ground. So they attempt to cross a massive bog, a marshy bog, not ideal ground to get your ships. And as they're doing, the Ulster boys close in. At the moment of truth, Magnus is holding them off. And he says to his second command, Thorgrim, here, listen, we'll cover you. You take half the men that way and then you turn around except Thorgrim betrayed him mm. him and his men just kept running all the way to the ship they didn't turn around and Magnus was left to die so Magnus died there and um, that was it really because I say he was the star quality really who could have helped with this invasion of England um, Murakertig did indeed provide troops for the Norman rebels but um, it just wasn't enough and they were fairly easily defeated. Um, Arnulf, the Norman, was banished for life. Um, Murakertig was now, um, you know, persona non grata in England and they actually started a trade war with Ireland to punish us. It took years of diplomacy to fix it. But um, that was it for Murakertig. He, the rest of his sort of career militarily was he could never crack Ulster. He had to forget about England. Um, And the only thing of note he did was he kind of bullied the King of Scotland for a while. This was a guy called Edgar. Uh, He was quite a weak king. He was really just a puppet king Mm. the Normans had left in charge. And um, his most remarkable thing is he gave lots of tributes to our guy. But um, he actually sent a gift to Ireland, a really exotic one that had never before been seen. It was a huge, enormous animal. And the analysts didn't have a word for it. And we now know it was either an elephant or a camel. Okay. <laughs> it would have been, I presume, um, the only elephant or camel where in Ireland. Where he would have got that is it would have been a souvenir from the Crusades. Yeah. And that's how he, he could have had one. But as I say, literally, they did not have a word for that yet in Irish. And so we're not clear. Um, we can only know that at some stage when they're digging in Killaloo, if they find the bones of an elephant or camel, that, you know, then we'll know. <laughs> Amazing stuff. And it, just like with the, the death of Brian Beru, you know, those sliding doors moments in history, Conor, where what, how would the history of Ireland have unfolded had Brian stayed alive? And but for 
for Magnus, if Magnus hadn't perished in the bogs of Downpatrick, could we now be talking about the United Kingdom of Ireland and Great Britain yeah. and they'd be looking to... <laughs> Quite possibly. Because Corn- is- Cornwall would still be looking to uh, secede from the <laughs> our union. It, it really is an amazing moment. But I suppose we'll say in the end of the day, you wonder what population have told. Because like what always told against us is we just did not have the population mm. to mount massive things. But we could certainly hold our own as actual warriors. I mean, that was clear. Um, but, yeah, obviously instead, um, so you feel years e- later... Even if we had, even if that invasion had been successful and for a couple of decades Ireland was in control of England, it would have only been a matter of time before sheer numbers dictated that they retook the country. I think so, I think so. But but again, one never can be clear what has happened in history. The two other, I suppose, definite legacies that happened was that in the aftermath, uh, Murakertig realised really what what a big deal the Battle of Clontarf was. Because not only did the Vikings know all about it, but even the Normans knew about it, it turned out. So he actually commissioned the writing of this ancient Gaelic manuscript called Cuga Nagail August Nagal, literally the war of the Irish versus the foreigners. And it was the first thing of its kind. It, it, you know, I suppose, was influenced by these guys. And it's the epic several hundred year tale of how we finally got rid of the Vikings. Um, so that's a definite legacy. And um, what the other intriguing thing, this Thorgrim guy I mentioned, he was the guy who turned tail in the battle. While he was in Killaloo, like a lot of warriors, he had a quick dose of religion. You know, these they were always murdering people. And then every now and then these warriors would feel bad about it. Seek a bit of redemption. <laughs> <And> think, <laughs> so he actually commissioned the making of a cross in Killaloo. We know that um, winter. And incredibly... It's only recently it's been discovered. It still exists, a little fragment of it. If you go now to Killaloo Cathedral, right in the in the town, on the banks of the river, there's this little piece of stone. It's just the top of the cross. And it's, it's almost like a, an Irish Rosetta stone because on one side of it is these Norse ruins. Hmm. And on the edge of it, there's Ogham, you know, that ancient Irish language. Yeah. So it's written in two languages and it basically means this cross was built by Thorgrim a blessing on Thorgrim and you can see that inside in Killaloo now that so it's the one physical tangible legacy of that strange winter amazing stuff amazing stuff um brilliant and it just shows you again those moments where yeah I suppose even if we had invaded England they they w- it wouldn't have been for long but uh, fascinating history Colm I'm very interested to see where we go next uh, we'll let you work away on that but uh, in the meantime thank you very much uh, for joining us and letting us all know who Thorgrim is. I don't think too many of us were familiar with him uh, beforehand. It uh, sounds like quite the uh, individual. Uh, Colm Liddy 